will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Hello there, property enthusiasts. Welcome to another insightful episode of Leverage Addicts, where we bring you the latest trends, expert opinions, and real-world insights from the world of property investing. I'm your host, Blandon, and today we brought back one of the special guests who's no stranger to the property development game. Please join me in welcoming Mark Abbotts. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and if you guys don't know already, he's a seasoned property development consultant from Ashcroft Homes. So I just want to welcome you today, Mark, and we're excited to dive into some pressing questions about the property market at the moment. Obviously, the recent election, sort of what lies ahead for property developers. And for some of our first-time listeners as well, maybe you can give us a quick intro to what you do. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Mark, uh, and I'm a property development consultant at Ashcroft Homes. Ashcroft Homes is basically a standard plan building company here in Auckland, and my role with them is to assist potential clients right from initial concepts right through to build contracts and actually building houses. We build for mum and dads, investors, and developers, and we basically offer a, a nice, neat, simple package and easy way for people who aren't experienced in developing property to either do a large-scale development or simply build in the back, you know, utilize that potential that's just in there. Yeah. And if you guys haven't heard the first episode already, I learned so much about development from Mark because when I sort of first explored that area, he taught me pretty much everything like the stormwater, wastewater, building coverage, you know, what you could fit on the site, you know, and I asked him like some strange question. He would always get back to me. So you're the man, Mark. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot to learn. (laughs) <laughs> so what are your thoughts on leading up to the election, you know, the potential results coming? Yeah, so obviously uh, elections are always an interesting period in time, right? There's typically, we'll see six months before, six months after an election. People sitting on their hands, it creates uncertainty. People aren't sure, you know, especially uh, this election, people really weren't sure what the outcome would be. And at this stage, I mean, obviously, we time of filming this, we're, we're not 100% sure of the outcome yet anyways. We're still waiting for all the special votes to come in. However, it does look like we're going to have a, a change in government. And, and if it is a national-led government that that takes New Zealand forwards, we do expect to see some changes in both policy and perhaps the outlook of investors and developers in the market. Yeah. I was catching up with David yesterday and he was talking about how potentially if New Zealand first don't play ball, you know, we might not be able to pass some of these bills through. So let's see what happens. Yeah. It'll, it'll certainly be interesting. Um, you know, if, if National NAT can, can form a government alone, that, that will be very different to, to New Zealand first being involved. And what's the general feeling with, within development market, you know, in the last 12 months that you have seen in your space? Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting period. Um, we've obviously seen a, a slight reduction in, in actual house prices, um, which is obviously very important to to anyone who's developing to sell. At the same time, we've seen you know a pretty big jump in interest rates, which obviously affects anyone who's looking to, to develop if you don't have a lot of cash. Um, and and I think that sort of created this environment that that has challenged a lot of developers and, and also people who are basically just looking to sometimes build an extra house in the back. So we've seen less development. Um, we've probably seen a change in the type of projects. So even some of our experienced developers uh, are no longer looking at removing that existing house and, and you know building eight terraced houses. Uh, often now they're asking us the question, well, what can we just fit in the backyard? You know, Can we reno that existing house, get that on the market or rent it throughout the build? 
what can we actually fit in the back? So there's been a definite change in in the type of development, but also the I guess the fundamentals are changing for a lot of people. A lot of people are looking at, at building to rent now, um, and perhaps that's that's the effect of, of some of the policy we have seen over the last six years, where people are wanting to hold the properties past the bright line. Um, so, so a lot of my clients have actually built built to rent in the last um, twelve to eighteen months, yeah. um, and, and when I say a lot, probably probably eighty to ninety percent. So, so I've seen a, a noticeable shift. Out of how many though? Any one client can build a number of houses. I'm seeing clients who are doing developments of the scale you'd expect a developer to be doing. So, so say five to eight units, but they're doing that build to hold. A definite yeah shift in people's mindset. What would you say the difference in numbers look like for something like a property? It's got an existing dwelling, and you would maybe chuck two at the back. Versus if you got rid of the existing house and then put eight on. What difference are there? Is it the margin? What what are the differences? Right. Now in this market, there's a couple of differences. The the first one being finance. So so really hard right now to to get the three or three and a half or four million dollars it takes to do an eight lot development. We're seeing people in very good financial positions struggle to do that. Even the people who can do that, you know, when you're borrowing at say ten to fifteen percent, it can really affect the the numbers on a development. You know, it's it's not like it was two or three years ago when people were borrowing at say four four to eight percent. Yeah, I'll have to cut there. Go remind me a question. So what would be the difference between building eight lots versus right, like right. just keeping the existing and build a couple. Yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously finance, number one. The next thing, I guess, funding. It's okay, man. Don't, length don't worry. of time. Yeah, what else would be? Uh, I, I, mean, think, I think funding right now, is huge. It's probably funding. Um, like typically I would say maybe you can bounce on me saying like, you know, you you do you do the numbers. What do you what do you see on your side? Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah, just yeah, pass yeah. it back to me okay. if, um, you, if you want. Yeah, interesting. I'd say first and foremost is is funding. So the, the difference between funding a three or four million dollar development compared to funding, say, a one and a half million dollar development is huge. And perhaps, I mean, you could use some of your experience to, to let people know just how hard it is right now. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you're right in saying that. So the biggest difference is probably the funding side of things. Obviously, borrowing one million is way easier than borrow three million. Uh, although from what we can see on our side, like the, the margins would stack up to be better in the eight lot development. Obviously, a bigger project means that you can sell for more, you make more money, but it does seem like maybe that's like a safer option going for the two. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the existing house is worth talking about. So you keep that existing house so long as we don't have to move it on site. You know, you find it nowadays it probably costs 400, 450 grand to go build a, a nice four bedroom house. If you can sink a uh, hundred grand into that house and, and do a really nice reno, you've got the ability to rent it out through the build or sell it to basically help fund the project. So you're sort of creating a bit of certainty at the same time. Is, is I guess removing some of the risk with a bigger project because basically bigger project the first thing we do is knock down the house so the the banks also tend to like that sort of setup in terms of, of funding keeping the existing house especially if you're able to rent it throughout the build because yeah. it really helps with the servicing yeah you've got you've got some income coming in while you're building whereas if you remove the existing house obviously as a piece of land Right. Yeah. No, yeah. no income. And, and, and no security from a bank's point of view. Mm, that's right. So now that's really good. So I think a lot of it maybe is just a relooking. A lot of it comes down to relooking at 
the risk and the return uh, makes, yeah, makes yeah and I, I guess there's there's one fun you know i've had this conversation many times with clients but the only number that's really important when you're developing is, is really the difference between how much you spend and how much you make so if you spend four million dollars to make say a million it's still relative if you spend one and a half million to make you know four or five hundred grand it's all relative but often people think the bigger they go the more money they'll make and it's it's not always the case and it's kind of the same thinking between everyone always wanting to go three stories and sometimes actually it's more cost effective just to build two stories? That's exactly why I made the decision to just build a single story, four bedroom in my South Auckland property. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's really good. So how will the election results, you think, will sort of change the development market? Yeah, I think it's going to have a big impact if we do see a national-led government. Number one, what it does create is a lot of certainty for people. So people will now be able to, to move forward sort of knowing what the next three years are going to look like at least. In terms of the actual policy, so, so National's actually got a really interesting um, document out called Going for Housing Growth. Really worth a good read if anyone is in the space wants to get a better understanding of, of perhaps where we'll see things going. But basically, at the outlook, National appear to be a little bit more landlord-friendly, so they're likely going to reverse some policy or change some policy. Typically, national governments have been more landlord-friendly. We're hoping that they're going to be a bit more developer-friendly. They've made talks about, for instance, reforming the RMA, making it easier to get consents, cheaper to get consents. They always say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and every government does. I just want it to be faster to get consents, to be honest. You know, so I think all of that sort of stuff has a big impact on, on what we do. But specifically in terms of policy, interest deductibility, if they remove that, that's obviously great for for landlords. And we just talked about, you know, how a number of, of clients have got a, a building to rent. So people are doing that to sometimes avoid the interest deduct because obviously new builds don't can claim your interest as a deductible. But rolling that back again, it's it's just going to increase the viability of owning rental properties. And that is really good for the housing market and the development market. We've got clients who, who want to build to rent. This sort of policy will really help them do that. It's interesting that you said that because if I look at some of my bigger clients who have a property portfolio and they're building properties, right under the label rule they want to encourage more new builds to go to first home buyers but what does interest deductibility rule have forced these bigger portfolio people who are developing to hold all of the new builds and sell all of the old stuff <laughs> so they're putting more old properties on the market yeah that's interesting consequence of what they were trying to do forcing developers or property investors to go another way and it's it's I think it's it's been a real tough time for for a number of of people, you know, especially your, your mum and dads who perhaps just have one rental property they've worked really hard to acquire and then they've seen a lot of policy change over the last six years and that, that's definitely impacted a lot of people. How do you think that's going to affect the new build prices with some of these changes? I think it will be interesting. You know, at, at any rate, there, there's a lot of factors that are going to impact the new build pricing. Personally, I think migration is, is probably one of the, the biggest factors. I mean, we've seen a huge amount of people move into New Zealand in the last six to 12 months. You know, traditionally two thirds of those people are going to settle in Auckland. We simply aren't building enough houses. So policy will affect where we see house prices go. But I also think supply and demand is going to be huge in the next two years. Um, if I look at the construction industry as a whole in the last two years, we're still building projects that were consented two years ago. You know, a lot of those were being sold off the plan en masse and, and all that sort of stuff. A lot of that has stopped. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lag in, in new builds, you know, hitting the, the market in the next sort of 12 to, to 18 or 24 months. You know, another interesting thing is Kangaroo has been very active in terms of developing their, their own portfolio. So that's been interesting to see them actually you know, start undertaking developments at quite a large scale. They, two to three they years have ago. been, yeah, they, they stopped buying in the last 
Yeah, know, which 18 I, months. I think is good. It absolutely makes sense for them to have that model for, for social housing in New Zealand because they, they actually own a lot of land, you know, and, and a lot of it's just got one house on it. And yeah, developing their own land is a lot more cost effective for, for our country than going out and buying million dollar new builds that a private developer has developed. So which, what which I'm hearing happy, from what you said is potentially because the pipeline has stopped because all the developments like, okay, we're going to finish this lot and not going to build anything. So less new builds are going to come on. That potentially could dampen the supply, therefore driving up the prices. I think the interest deductibility might take off some of the demand for new builds because if existing builds get the same thing. But land prices certainly have to come down. In, in all scenarios, yeah. yeah. <laughs> land is certainly too expensive and has been over the past. Part of what National does cover in this document is is how it plans to unlock some uh, development land. And essentially they're, they're wanting, um, well, uh, my understanding is basically they're, they're wanting councils to identify 30 years worth of developable land um, within their regions. And then they're wanting them to make it uh, able to be developed a lot sooner than 30 years time. Um, so, you know, in here it does talk about some stuff like current future urban land, which, which basically you can't really do much with now apart from sort of a zone change. Um, they're talking about stuff like that perhaps becoming uh, or, or being upzoned immediately, I think, or, or, you know, relatively quickly. So I think it, it, it'll be interesting to see how much of this national can roll out. But if we can make land cheaper, in values or, or houses will become more affordable for, for first-time buyers, which I think is, is very important. The other thing we really need to, to look at is, is build prices. Um, we, we seem to have very expensive uh, cost to build in New Zealand. Um, a lot of it tends to be more material related than uh, tradesperson related. You know, our tradesmen are very well priced compared to countries like Australia who, who you know, have some very, very highly paid tradesmen people. You know, in this document, National does also talk about um, Building Act reform and trying to make uh, the material supply market more competitive in New Zealand, which which I think if you can do those things is, is free up some land and then make building cheaper, that will, will definitely lead to, to more affordable housing in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah I, th I still think the challenge with MDRS is, like they said, infrastructure. Yeah. Even if you have more land, it's like, well, how do we get all the supply for stormwater, wastewater, electricity, gas? You know, we have to spend a lot more in infrastructure before that the, the land becomes useful. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much they can execute. There's other things like, you know, I mean, they've indicated they want to reduce the bright line to two years. Again, that will incentivize private developers uh, quite a bit. You know, with, uh, with a 10-year bright line, you've either got to hold your properties for 10 years or sell at the onset. You know, this might encourage some people to, to build and perhaps have a shorter term hold to avoid, avoid paying tax. No, that's really good. So obviously it has been a challenging market. How have your clients or Ashcroft Home clients sort of dealt with it in the last 18 months? What have you guys sort of helped your clients um, do to get through the, this period? Yeah, so a lot of... A lot of back to basics. So, so, and it starts right at the outset where, you know, people phone us and they're inquiring about that big development or, you know, and they're, they're saying, well, what's the, how can I maximize my land? Having that conversation again and, and saying, well, well, actually, what can you afford to do? So we, we're looking at, at finance a lot earlier in the piece 
with a lot of clients because people can start spending you know pretty considerable money pretty quickly without knowing that they can necessarily actually afford to do that. So that's where we're, we're bringing brokers such as yourself into the equation and really working a lot closer with clients to see what they can actually afford a little bit earlier in the piece. Building the back, I mean, we touched on that before. It's sort of a perhaps a more enticing way to develop in this current market. It really creates a bit of certainty and, and reduces the risk. And I think people don't want to commit to, to huge building projects right now if they're heavily financed and sometimes at some pretty crazy interest rates. Some of that would have been the election as well, but definitely a change in mindset in terms of the, the type of projects our clients are looking to do. Another really important thing is basically just getting ready to pull trigger on, on actually building. So people don't realize how, mu- how much time you can spend on your concepts and then your consent to actually pull trigger and sign a contract. The way Ashcroft's process works, so we'll do concept plans for people, then go ahead, do the resource consent before you actually sign a contract to build with us. Some clients might only spend $60,000 to, to arguably get halfway through the, the build process. You know, so they haven't actually built anything yet, but they've got the resource consent ready to go. So that's a really powerful place to be once you've got your resource consent ready to go. It's valid for five years, a lot easier to get funding. You know, part of the conversation we've had with clients is, is that you're not committing to building, but you're, you're just committing to getting ready to build. The way I see it paying out is they're just going to be in such a powerful position when we do see some of these changes that a lot of people are perhaps expecting coming to fruition. They're going to be ready to go at the front of the queue. Banks will be wanting to deal with them and they can commit and move really quickly when they feel the market is is right for them. I think it's so important what you touched on earlier as well is looking at the calculations with the client. There are so many mum and dad investors with a bit of land. They want to like, okay, I am going to build on this. I'm going to do a development. A lot of them don't have a super numbers driven sort of decision making process. They might look at how much they acquired the land for. And therefore, if they built at a certain price, that's the margin they make. But what you really want to look at is today's value. If you sold the land, how much is that worth? And whether or not, if you just sold the land versus if you built, right, like the profit might be similar, right? So a lot of people want to go through that break-even exercise. They got all of this emotion that was in property that they, you know, held for a while. They want to do it. But yeah, like a quick calculation, it just doesn't work. So it's so important to do the numbers early. And I guess now that it's harder to do finance, it costs more, people are being more aware, okay, like I need to get outside advice before I even start the project because even though you can build whatever you want to build on it's like should you yeah, you, you couldn't hit the nail more on the head there. There's that issue and the issue, you know, where we find some people are in a position where by the time you account for the build and then the actual subdivision of land to create all the new titles so you can flick it on or whatever you want to do, sometimes there's an argument that they could go and buy similar properties with a full section for the amount that they're spending to develop. Not every development stacks up and especially right now where there's high interest rates and, and slightly lower end values, not everything does stack up. But a, a lot of it depends on your intention for doing it as well. Like if you extrapolate anything, out of 30 years, over 30 years, you know, it, it'll probably start stacking up eventually, right? So it, it depends on, on people's intentions a lot. You know, I mean, we do deal with mums and dads who want that 30-year nest egg, you know, in their front yard. They'll pass it on to the kids or whatever it is. They, they're setting up equity and security as opposed to trying to make money quickly, I guess. Now, that's really good. I, I wanted to ask you as well, because obviously Ashcroft's business model, we talked about that in the last podcast. Now, because the market fluctuates a lot, prices goes up and down, land value goes up and down. You've got the sale, co- sale price as well going up and down. How can your model 
create certainty for the client? How do you try and strive for that? You know, you certainly there's always going to be some variables, but what is it that you try and do to give that certainty? It's, it's really hard to to create that certainty early on, but it's part of the role as a property development consultant. So, you know, before you spend any money with Ashcroft, I should be able to give you a pretty clear indication of, of what I think we can build on your property. I can let you know what it costs to build that house today if you were to sign a build contract with us. And I can sort of give you indications on the subdivision and site works for said project. So very early on, we try and be very transparent with clients. Like we don't want to, to start spending their money if it's if it's fairly obvious that we can't fit what we're proposing or that perhaps they can't finance it or that perhaps it's just going to cost a lot more than they thought. We're very upfront and, and transparent about that. So I'd rather you walk away knowing that you shouldn't be doing this or you can't be doing this as opposed to, you know, taking some money, drawing some concept and knowing that we're sort of not going to go anywhere from there. You know how I would put it? I would put it as Ashcroft. They're very picky on their piece of land. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so well, and, and, and we can they want to um, build for you, your, your piece of land is probably pretty solid and they, they want to be like, yep, we'll, we'll do it because we know we can. And I think that's definitely one thing that you guys do well. It's like, okay, well, you guys got so much to choose from. You guys don't need to, you know, try and push every deal through. That's right. And because we are a standard plan company, like a, I'm a qualified builder, so I'll be, the, I'll be the first to tell you when I think you should go design and build because sometimes the slope of the section, the shape of the section, it, it's just really hard to maximize with standard plans. Or, or I know that you'll be uh, spending a lot of money creating the level building platforms for standard plans. So yeah, very important that sort of upfront feasibility and making sure we're, we're also the right builder you know, for the for the client. So yeah, we, we do all of that sort of as part of our free feasibility assessments. And then from there, we have a, a package called the Develop Concept Package where we'll actually go draw the plans. We have engineers look at it. We have planners look at it. All. And then we go ahead and actually provide full build costs for the entire project, basically. Right there, clients will, will have sort of a circuit cost of the build subdivision and site works, which should allow them to, to start really working on, on their numbers and seeing if the project stacks up and they want to proceed to resource consent. So that, that developed concept pack is really, really important. It's not uh, very expensive to do because we, we're not actually designing the houses. We're just seeing how they work in your property. Because really they're already that. pre-designed. You guys have template builds. You're like, okay, this is a three-bedroom duplex. This is a two-bedroom terrace. You guys already have those. You plug it on the site and be like, yep, you're playing jigsaw puzzle or more, almost like Lego. See how many you can stack onto the site. Yeah, arguably. And then, and from there, then telling you arguably how much all the pipes and the paths and all that stuff people don't really think about. So, you know, we often get people who might ring our website, you know, or ring us and say, we look at your website and I see there's a house here for 430 grand. And they sort of think that that's going to be the cost to build the house and do everything else. So that's just the cost to build the house. There's there's all this other stuff to, to consider as well. So Ashcroft's really good at painting that picture. We definitely don't sort of leave anything out. Because obviously like the standard plans though, because we're while we're on the topic, you know, if you have standard plans and the market changes, how do you keep up with that? Like what's your process in choosing what plan's relevant? Yeah, for sure. Often it's not as much on the actual plan or the layout or, or that sort of stuff. It's, it's more around the planning rules on the site and working out how I can maximize the available space, I guess. So there's basically two big differences. You get your houses that don't have internal parking and then your houses that do. And often, you know, if I'm looking at a building in the back or something like that, typically there'll be houses with garages, a duplex, and then basically I'll, I'll take the available space I've got and match up houses to, to take up that available space. So very e efficient in a sense. And, and so my, yeah, my role isn't so much, you know, unless I've got somebody who's building a family home or, or you know, has some, some pretty specific requirements. Often it's just 
maximizing the available space with whatever type of dwelling that the client's looking to do, whether that's a terrace or a house hall. I see. So your goal is more about maximizing the space and just giving them this bang for the buck. Basically, often... That's what it comes down to is sort of knowing how close you can get for your height in relation to boundary, your setbacks, all of your planning rules, and then say, okay, this is the space I've got to work with. What are the basically the two or three or four biggest houses I can get to fit in, in this space in whatever configuration? And, and often we don't just have one option. Common scenario might be you can do four standalone houses or you can do six terraces with parking. So sometimes we'll have two options that are very close in build costs, but perhaps could see different end values. And that's where we'll provide those options for you to assess and go talk to, to people like agents to get a better understanding of perhaps end values. And I, I think that's worth touching on, you know, so I think there's, there's sort of four really important people when you're developing property. Number one is somebody like myself. So the construction guy, construction expert. Number two, broker yourself. It's, it's understanding the finance and those two in conjunction, because if you can't afford to do something, it, it doesn't mean you can't afford to do anything. You know, you might come see me and I show you six terrace houses at $3 million or $2 million, whatever it is. You come see Blandon and he goes, you should build in the back. So so there's sort of a relationship between the money and what I do. Then a good lawyer, because obviously there's there's different commitments you're making in terms of contracts and agreements. And then obviously when you go to sell the properties as well, you need somebody to do all the titles. So those three people, and then a good agent, which is probably not the most important thing, but, but very important. You need an agent who can see the value. Often what we found in a really hot market is that agents aren't as keen on development if you're not working with the right agents. So like they'll try and convince clients to sell without exploring development options or perhaps give negative feedback on development options because yeah. they're, they're not keen for the long game. Yeah, because it's like if they don't have a pipeline of, of listings, it's like why would they want another 12 lots that they don't get paid for another 24 months? It, well, <laughs> you couldn't have said it more straight up, right? So so it's finding someone you trust, right, and who can see the value in, in developing and who can give you that sound advice so that when it does come into a hitting market or, or rent or whatever, you're going to use them. They'll get their their kickback then, and everyone's happy families. And it's sort of the sad thing is actually that the agents would make far more commission if they just waited for the development to happen. They'll make sales on five to to $8 million worth of property instead of one and a half. It's just finding that person who can see the value and, and is happy to, to help play the long game. No, that's really good. As my last question for the day, what kind of developments are your clients working on at the moment? Tell us some of the trace secrets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've had a really interesting sort of 12 to 24 months with a lot of my clients. I think I touched on it before, but probably like 80 to 90% of, of my clients have been building to rent. And I've got people who are building everything from sort of one or two in the back of, of their existing property that they live at. Long-term rentals, some have struggled with finance, but a lot of them have, have made that commitment and see the, the long-term value. I then, I've had a few clients who've taken on sort of larger projects, but surprisingly all build to rent as well. And by larger, we're now talking you know, sort of eight two-bedroom houses. I've got a client who's replacing a sausage block. So there's four houses there currently, really bad state of disrepair. So he's going to four of our Windsor design and four of our Newcastle design on there. So really neat, tidy development. I've got some clients who, who are just up the road from him and actually approached me wanting to build an apartment block initially. You know, it was a really interesting journey from a sense that I presented what I thought Ashcroft could do. They went away for about six months and, and explored building the apartment block. I believe they were dealing with an, an architect and they got a considerable way down that path. And they obviously realized it was just going to be a bit, a bit challenging. I mean, it was going to be a very big ask to build an apartment block. Yeah, Do you they, even build apartments? No, we, we don't. We don't. So so is there not con no conflict of interest there? No, no, no de de definitely not. And I mean, and they genuinely explored it. But yeah, come back and, and decided to, to commit to eight houses on their property. And... 
through the design process, I, I think we needed, it was either a meter more of length or a meter more of, I think it was width to do a central driveway and get eight of these houses on. Property was just too narrow by the time we put in all the retaining walls and sort of mm. did everything. Yeah, I had to work closely with them on my feet to, to come up with a different design that still sort of got eight houses on the property. Mm. It coincided well with the release of our Daventry design, which is one of our first three-story designs. Yeah, and, and their zoning was right for three stories, so... We ended up building four Daventries and, and four Newcastles on the site. It's eight car parks. Tell us the pricing on some of those ones, like just roughly. Ooh, ooh. So, like a three-story, I mean, how many square from, meter, what, how many yeah, bedrooms? Yeah. I mean, your testimony is something like our, our Daventry design. I believe it's it's around the the five hundred fifty k mark, but I'd I'd have to I'd have to double check. We do have different pricing for say a middle unit and then a, a front or an end unit. Daventry's are one hundred eighty squares. It's got a twenty square meter covered deck. One hundred eighty square meters. Yeah, might, might be one hundred eighty six. I think it's 180, 20 square meters. As standard, it's four bedrooms with an office. And yeah, living on the middle story, nice covered deck. Can make it five bedrooms if you turn the, the office into a fifth bedroom. And it's also got the single internal garage parking. Guys, just did some quick maths. We're looking at like 3,000 square meter per square yeah. meter. It's- I'd have to double check the bill pricing, but, but I believe it's somewhere in the, the region of 550. Yeah, so it sounds like a pretty, even if it's at 3,000 plus GST, I think the plan is still quite strong price for something like that. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. It's yeah. similar and to... I mean, if anyone wants to... Yeah, it's not the new Tanae. It's, it's in, what's no, the name it's a, again? it's the Daventry. No, that's really good. So I want to know, though, what, what are the veterans doing? The veterans. The veterans, I'd say, so a lot of these guys are probably sitting on their hands for the last 12 months in a sense that they're the type of guys who are probably getting build ready you know so they're getting their consents ready and looking at simpler projects so some of our most prolific clients keep things simple they're just continuing to do what they've always done but we've definitely seen a, a shift in, in built rent probably couldn't emphasize or especially for my clients in the, the sort of challenging market we've had so so even some of those hardcore guys are changing the way they're doing projects if they're sitting on their hands i'm i'm assuming they're probably just looking to pounce when there's a good deal. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen some of the best opportunities for buying development land in Auckland that we've we've had in the you know the last six or seven years probably. There are people taking hits on properties out there. You know, I think two, three years ago, there was a lot of people who weren't developers who wanted to be developers, who perhaps were buying additional properties with the intention of developing at 2.5% interest or, or whatever we were at, right? And I think that equation has changed for a lot of people now. They're now looking at refixing at 7% and they're going, actually, you know, perhaps not such a good idea to, to own this investment property. But the, the problem they're finding is that they're now going to sell and they, they can't sell for what they bought it for. So they're, they're kind of screwed over there. Well, what's a better word? You know, they're, they're struggling to, to find a way forwards. And yeah. sometimes those, those are the guys taking the hits. It's definitely hard if people don't try to go on that path of educating themselves first, understanding, I mean, property, yeah, like most of the time you can get 80-20, but when you're playing with land banks, like the margin shifts really, really quickly because, you know, it's based on really big numbers. So, yeah, that definitely, uh, I know what you're talking about there. And, 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 some, and, and like a, a lot of these guys bought bought the properties with very little regard for the existing house because they, they always thought, well, I'm going to knock it down. So sometimes, yeah, they've, they've gone backwards, you know, so they're, they're looking for that out, you know, and we're seeing properties that, that you know, may have been, you know, especially out south. Like we, we saw some huge sale prices for some property out, out, out south and now some of that has dropped by 20 or 30 or sometimes 40% compared to some of those real big numbers we saw. So, yeah, great time for people to be acquiring more, more stock, especially developable stock. Next time I know how to play the game. When we are in that situation again, yeah, yeah, sell yeah. everything, and, and I mean, and, and that's <laughs> right. Everyone, 
everyone wishes they had a, a next time so that they couldn't make you know some of those mistakes. It's it is really tricky. There's there's hundreds, if not sometimes thousands, of things to think about. But that's why it's important to partner with with a company like Ashcroft because we we think about a lot of those things for you. We'll make you aware of a lot of those things and you know help help set your expectations for the journey that is is development. You know, it's it, it is high risk, but at the same time, it's high reward. But you'll you'll never know if you don't commit to that first one, and you'll probably learn more in that first development process than the next five after that. That's really awesome, Mark. Thank you so much today. And there you have it, folks. We got a deep dive into property development landscape. You know, some of the election changes that are coming and what Ashcroft can bring to the table if you guys are thinking to do that next development or buy that land bank and just understand that whole process a bit more. Mark can be your guy because uh, he doesn't charge you for your first consultation. Massive thank you again for your insights. For our listeners out there, if you guys have found value, all I ask for is one simple thing, and that is to share this episode with one person who you think can find value from it. And until next time, I'll see you guys again. Thanks, Mark. Thank you very much for having me.